Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. So I got a question for you. Um, if you had to answer, this is a deep one. You ready? Okay. Let's go deep. Okay. If you had to answer what causes people to lose their faith, mm-hmm. like if you only had to pick one thing, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I think pain. How could a good God allow this kind of pain in my life or someone else's I didn't life? think you'd pick that. I oh, thought it would be I, doubts or questions no, or skepticism. I, I think that's one of the things I've struggled with and a lot of people have. I just had a girl yesterday call me and say, my 29-year-old best friend just passed away and I don't know how God could allow this. I think how a person handles or navigates pain, evil in the world determines the depth and future of all of our faith. I think it's that critical, and we're going to talk about that today. We've got Colleen Chow with us, and she's a writer, an editor, a mom, a wife, and Colleen, welcome to Family Life, but you're a woman that has experienced a lot of pain. But first of all, let me say, glad to have you with us. Oh, it's such an honor and joy to be with you too today. Thanks for having me. And I didn't know your story till just recently. I know a lot of people have heard your story. You've written a 31-day devotional, which is really about how to, mm. you know, walk through pain. It's called In the Hands of a Fiercely Tender God, 31 Days of Hope, Honesty, and Encouragement for the Sufferer. So obviously the first question is, okay, you must know a little bit about pain. Why don't you walk us through your story a little bit? Well, I love to say up front, I'm not an authority on suffering, <laughs> far from it, but God has allowed um, a story that I never would have chosen. Pastor's kid, firstborn, ambitious, big dreams. Um, I was going to change the world. And at 18, I was ready to do that. And there were some hard things, you know, in growing up, but I felt like I had the world on a string at 18 and then was blindsided by depression when I was 19. I mean, blindsided. It was deep, dark depression. Did something happen that spurred that on? Yes. And yet for the gravity that it was, it didn't make sense. But I think it was my first taste of, oh, life life doesn't go exactly how I'm (laughs) planning it to go, even though it was a great goal and I was ambitious to get overseas. And so my 20s were kind of um, a cyclical depression. It wasn't constant and sustained, but there were cycles of depression and anxiety that I had never even known existed in that form. That was my first taste of, okay, this is going to go down a little differently than I thought. But by the time I reached 25, almost all of my friends were married and starting to pop out kids. And I was single. And at 25, I felt old because I was running in circles where everyone got married young. And I just didn't know where I fit. I didn't know how this would look on um, a daily basis. How do I, how do I do singleness? This isn't what I prepared for started to, you know, wrestle with God some and and also started to experience the fact that I was finding him to be who he said to, he was in the word. You're actually fleshing this out in my disappointment. 30 rolled around, still single. <laughs> and then around the time I met my husband, some little irritating physical symptoms I'd had for years started to explode into chronic illness and pain. So I got married, even as I we kind of beat a path to the altar 
uh, we were going to specialists and trying to figure out what is going on with my body. And then we were so blessed to get pregnant right away. That was such a miracle. And we would never be able to have more kids after that, which was a different different heartache at a different time. But we got pregnant and I just got so sick and then gave birth to a son who had multiple health issues. And it was just a time of um, struggling with the fact that here are these things I've prayed for and waited for for years. And now they're they're surrounded by all this pain and grief and just trying to hold on. And then my son was six. We had like six weeks of health. He and I were doing so well health-wise for six weeks. And my husband and I just thought, oh, my goodness, maybe some more freedom to do ministry and things we dreamed about. And then at the end of those six weeks, I found a little lump um, on my breast. And I was like, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way, Lord. Um, Because you've already been through so much. Right. And, you know, as humans, we think, oh, only this much. And then God's going to, you know then something else is going to happen here, more of a time of blessing or coasting even, if you want to say that. But sure enough, it was cancer. But God started to, all of these things, all along the way, each of these disappointments and pain and sufferings, God was showing himself to me in ways that once, once we kind of moved past one season, I would say, oh my goodness, I I wouldn't have missed that for the world because what I was finding about God and he was showing like, I am who I say I am. And let me show you more and more of me. It's kind of C.S. Lewis in the last battle. He says further up and further in. And that's what I felt like was going on, even in the midst of the heartache and the wrestling and the anger and the fear and all of that. It was coming with an experience of God that I didn't want to miss that. A few years after I was kind of cancer. I mean, they said cancer's gone. Can't say cancer free yet. But um, a year ago, we found the cancer's back and it's terminal. So that's a whole new level of walking with God. Mm. Well, Colleen, like I'm imagining, like you've lived through and you're living through a lot of us. It's our greatest fear. Totally. Especially what you just had is to hear a terminal diagnosis. Yeah. Like when you were delivered that news. Walk us through, like, what did you feel? Where did you go? What did you do in those moments and days and even months after that? Well, I'm sure you've been through times where it seems time stands still. You know, those first moments, it's just an otherworldly experience. But this is the crazy thing. Because of COVID and crazy weird things, I was by myself when I got the news. So I walked out to my car alone. As I was walking, I felt the presence of God so keenly. And he said, I want you to write. This is one of the reasons I've entrusted this diagnosis to you. It was so clear. And it's, you know, you can say the spirit pressed on my heart, however you want to say it. (laughs) It was so clear. And the kindness of him in that moment, because I'd said I would never put anything in permanent print until I was 80 and wise. (laughs) But the kindness of him in that moment to say, I still have work for you to do. (laughs) This isn't the end. This is Part of your story is I want you to care for others, even as you hear this crazy news that's going to make life really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was giving me good works to do that he'd prepared for me beforehand, and he was speaking that to my heart. But after that, you know, there was a lot of grace. I think we all experienced that in those moments of shock and trauma. There's a lot of immediate grace, hmm. and God just uh, carries us along for those first moments. And I, I met up with my husband before we went home. 
Uh, my parents were watching my son. We got home and it's almost indescribable to have to tell he was nine, Jeremy's nine, um, and to walk in and to tell him the news. And we'd resolved to be honest with him all along the way since the first time I had cancer. We were so honest because we want him to see God in the suffering. You know, those moments and then telling other people sent me into my closet in the fetal position and just wailing. And I, I cried and cried and cried and cried. And I tried not to lose it in front of my son just because he was bearing so much grief. And we snuggled at night and he asked the hard questions. And I said, you can ask anything. You can say anything. You can feel anything. You know, you you let us know where you're at. And he did. And so we we did a lot of um, hard talking and grieving. And then I also had kind of this compelling, like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I was on my word doc, like putting together a plan for the end, you know, okay, this is what, what's got to get done. So it was a mix of all those things, but I, I don't know if I could ever put into words the grief and the darkness, especially of the first months. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're made to know our own death. I don't want to think our brains are really wired to handle that necessarily. So, but God was meeting us and he, he was doing extraordinary things still is in the midst of this. Was it the uh, same thing for your husband? I can imagine, Hmm. you know, if Anne came back after we both thought it was gone, maybe completely gone. And then she comes back from appointment and tells me it's back and it's terminal I'm not sure how I would respond. How did how did that go? And how does a married couple navigate that kind of valley? Man, well, we're not examples. We're just slugging through it by grace. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, God again. I think he he put some buffers on some things for my husband at first because we just had to we had to line up chemo. We had to there's so much to do right away with that kind of diagnosis. I think there was some grace that that held him together. And then as time went on, I think the reality sinking in, it's so much on a husband. It's so much. And I think him trying to process grief, it, it was hard for him, mm-hmm. so hard. And he would tell me, he wouldn't cry in front of me, but he would tell me, I cried on my way to work. Honestly, it puts a lot of pressure on a marriage, and there's some beautiful moments where you just appreciate each other more, and then there are some moments where you think, how are we going to make it through this? Hmm. And then God keeps holding it together, and you get on the other side of those desperate moments, and you think, wow, God, God's holding this together. He's got us. But there are moments in time where I just say, oh, Lord, help. And so for us, finding people to talk to and finding people outside this circle of grief so that we can be healthy separately and be strong as a couple has been really significant. It's amazing that you both are allowing God to continue to shape you. You know, instead of pulling away from him, you're drawing closer to him where you could be angry or resentful. And I'm sure you've gone through days of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, that's what I appreciate, your honesty and realness. And even when I was reading your blog about getting chemo, And I'll just read the first few sentences. You said, why would I ask to be delivered from this awful diagnosis if it means bringing Jesus hope and light and love to the darkest corners of this chemo ward and beyond? Why leave the suffering to those who are alone and without the love of Jesus? We who know and love Jesus 
are here for just this purpose, to lay down our lives, to love others for him. When I read that, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, you're in chemo, getting chemo yourself, but you have your eyes on everyone else around you thinking, how can I bring Jesus Mm. to the others around me? That is being so other-focused. Where does that come from? It is such a work of God because I am so selfish naturally. But I think the grace gift of years of plowing through pain and suffering with the presence of Jesus is that he changes us one day at a time and makes our hearts a little bit more like his. And then you see these glimpses of it's miraculous what he's doing in my heart. It's not me. And that's what it's it's stunning to me that he has not given up on me. He's never said, "Uh, you know, you're not getting it. Uh, Peace out. (laughs) He he just keeps pursuing me and saying, I'm going to finish this beautiful work I've started in you. And if it takes pain and takes suffering to get there, it's amazing for me to experience his spirit's power in me in the midst of things that 20 years ago would have made me never get out of bed. And now to be compelled to get out of bed because there's still beautiful work to do and people to love, that's a work of God. That's his spirit that is so powerful in those of us who believe because that is not me. Have you met anyone even on the chemo floor as you're getting chemo that have asked you like, how can you have this attitude? There was one chemo patient. We're still really good friends. And um, have had amazing, amazing conversations about Jesus over the last four or five years. But typically, I'm not sitting by the same person ever again. It's always someone new. But my nurses, that's typically where I've seen the most incredible conversations happen because they're, you know, <laughs> they're stuck with me for hours and we're talking about hope. And I've been able to say things that I just marvel. Oh my goodness, I got to share the hope of Jesus, and they know that I'm in the process of dying. And what a powerful moment to say, Jesus is so worth this. This is worth it because there's something better, because this life is not all there is. So yeah, there have been really sweet moments and conversations, and with doctors. I would say doctors and nurses especially. Mm, yeah, That's cool. I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but um, again, I'm struck by your joy. You have joy in the middle of a terminal diagnosis with a husband and a son knowing you, you're going to miss things, you know, in their future. Yeah. Where does that joy come from? I mean, is it beyond saying Jesus? Because <laughs> I know you're going to say Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think every person wants that and they know the name Jesus, but. How does a person access what you're talking about in terms of a relationship? Where, How does that joy permeate your soul from Jesus? I feel like that answer could be like uh, ours because there's <laughs> so many layers to that that I've seen over the years. But one thing that stands out the first time around, I went a couple hours away um, to San Diego for a specialist um, and a specialized imaging. And I saw the image. And I knew that was the time I knew it was cancer. And I walked out trembling. I mean, I was shaking uncontrollably. Mm. And I called my husband. And I said, it's cancer. Like, I know it. And I had two hours to drive home um, by myself. And 
it was such a gift that I was alone that day because I poured out my soul to God and his spirit filled up that car. And one thing that I asked, I said, okay, if this is where we're going and I don't want to go here, (laughs) this is not where I want to go. But if this is where you're leading, I need you to give me more joy (laughs) and more peace than I've ever experienced in my life. (laughs) And it wasn't like a soft request. (laughs) (laughs) It was God. I see a little bit of what you're doing here. And I'm not ready for this suffering, but this is what I need from you. And he has answered that request for joy and peace in abundant measure, like multiplied crazy amounts of both. I think sometimes we ask too little instead of expecting God to do more than we could ask or imagine because his glory is at stake or because there is a story being written that goes beyond us and our little lives. He's doing something eternally significant. And so to lean into that and say, I need you, like, please show up because I can't do this without you. It is extraordinary to be experiencing joy and the answer to that prayer five years ago. I mean, that's, that's really beautiful. I mean, as you think of, I mean, we're all terminal. We know that. Yep. Yep. And yet you're feeling it in a way that somebody that doesn't have a immediate diagnosis. We don't we don't live in that reality, even though we know it. Totally. So, yeah. so even as you think about your husband and your son after you're gone, what do you hope for them? Oh, man, I have prayed so much. I think we all know, you know, one of the great callings of marriage and motherhood is to be a prayer warrior. Yeah. But this diagnosis Um, highlights that even more. And I've prayed that they would love Jesus more and more and more, that the grief wouldn't swamp them or harden their hearts, especially my son, Mm -hmm. um, and that he would would experience the reality and nearness of God because of seeing the joy and the goodness and the suffering, that he'd forever be shaped by that. And I think as I pray, I'm sensing that God is giving gifts to my husband and son. And this idea that my son's world is going to have even more suffering, I think, for those who follow Jesus, to be able to walk with him through suffering and show him God's goodness and show him we can have joy and still laugh in the midst of so much pain, um, that God shows up, that he's kind, that he's faithful and good is a true gift Hmm. to be equipping my son for his world that's going to be harder than my world was at his age. So I'm praying for my husband that he would experience more of Jesus, that he would have more grace to face the grief and to be a single dad for as long as that lasts, that God would just, you know, expand his capacity to handle so many things when I'm gone that are just extraordinary stresses and burdens on his own, that God would reveal himself to him, that he would see God and see that God loves him even more than I do, Mm -hmm. that he is working a beautiful thing in Jeremy's story, that Jeremy could sense that, that like there there would be hope Mm. for Jeremy instead of darkness and grief, because it has been a year of incredibly deep grief for him. But I think of your prayer for peace and for joy. (laughs) And I I think about your prayers that you're praying over your husband and your son. And it it reminded me of Psalm 145, verse 4, that says, Let each generation tell its children 
of your mighty acts. Wow. And there's one thing to talk about God's mighty acts when things are going well, but to be able to tell of God's mighty acts and his goodness and his love and care for us when we're walking through the valley. Yes. That's a testimony that your son, Mm. he's watching you praise Jesus with a terminal illness, knowing and wondering, like, how does she have the capacity to have that joy and peace? And you continually point him, your husband, and others to the source of that is this good, great God. Yes. You're inspiring. Even writing the book, taking the time to help us journey through suffering. It's been a gift. Thank you, Anne. Such a gift to chat about this. It just reinforces what God's doing, you know, in my heart to be able to share it. Mm. So thank you. We want to thank Dave and Anne Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Need help building that heart-to-heart communication between you and your preteen while laying a foundation of purity that will prepare them for the turbulent years ahead? Check out Passport to Purity on our website, families.powertochange.org.au, under the Resources tab. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.